Please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. John, chapter 1. If you borrowed a Bible from this room, uh, first of all, if you don't have a copy of your own, you're welcome to keep that one. But if you need help finding it, you'll find it on page 758 of that Bible. John, chapter 1. I told you, pointed out on the survey that, that one of the questions is um, for you to, to kind of let us know what comes into your mind when you think about God. You probably remember a few weeks ago, Pastor Kelly um, preaching from the Psalms and, and giving the quote um, by A.W. Tozer that says, Whatever comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Uh, so no pressure when you answer that. But the question that I have here to start is, what comes into your mind when you think about Christmas? Heidi says, woohoo. What is it? Presents? Huh? Okay, the birth of Christ. The nativity. Yes, ma'am. A Christmas tree, yeah. Okay, God loved us and came down, so showing that love to others. Basketball season. Basketball season. Yes. Your birthday? It's all about Brienne. When's your birthday? Wow. Now, well, let's, okay, yeah, I can imagine. Uh, what else? Yes, sir. Santa Claus. Santa Claus is coming to town. All right, what else? Snow, or the lack thereof, okay, anybody else, Christmas break, final exams, okay, yes, I didn't hear you, your grandparents, you normally go visit them, yeah, okay, good. Christmas caroling, oh, Christmas, Christmas cookies, Christmas parties. Delivery, Christmas bread. Okay, uh, that has become somewhat of a tradition. All right, what'd you say? Time with families. All right. Um, no one, no one actually said uh, one that that I was looking for that I think I would have said that. Uh, okay, go ahead. Yeah. Lily's surgery. Well, this is two years in a row you've had surgery in December. So uh, is it is this a tradition now too? You you only have two feet, so like, what's next year? Probably break your arm. Um, what about what about Christmas lights? Christmas lights, okay. So uh, if if there's a theme that's going to tie in the next few weeks, I think it's going to be this idea of Christmas lights. The Bible has a lot to say about the concepts of light. And darkness, and uh, tonight I'm going to try to make the connection that the incarnation. There's a big word we'll talk about. Uh, the incarnation of Jesus that happens that we celebrate at Christmas uh, shines like light into darkness. That's one of the phrases that the Bible uses to uh, describe the birth of Jesus. Um, what does what does that word mean when we say incarnation? 
That's a semi-theological word. Um, let's define it. Who can tell me what, what we mean when we talk about Jesus' incarnation? Go ahead. To enter into a certain form of flesh. Okay. So even in even in Eastern, you're talking about Eastern religions. Uh, is it normally a deity, like a god? If you are dead and your spirit enters into becomes a cow. Okay, so reincarnation in that sense, because you've already lived and died, but then you. Okay. Very good. Very good. Thank you. So what's the um, what's the key word there? Coming into, you said, coming into flesh. That's right. Coming into flesh, coming into bodily form. So Jesus, who has always existed, even in eternity past, as God, we celebrate at Christmas that God became man. God took on flesh. And that is, that is what we mean when we talk about the incarnation. So here's the main Point for tonight, I think there's uh, some blanks to fill in there at the top of your notes page. Uh, here's, here's the main point. The incarnation of Jesus is a new creation that overcomes the darkness. It's a new creation. That's, that's not to say that uh, Jesus became uh, something um, that he became something, it's not though he changed forms, let's put it that way. He always was God, he remained God, but he took on human flesh. Okay? So in that sense, it's a new creation, and it overcomes the darkness. Now probably, and some of you mentioned some of these things, probably when you think about the Christmas story from the Bible, you think about Joseph and Mary, Bethlehem, the manger, angels, shepherds, wise men, and so forth, right? Um, In other words, you think... Uh, about the way that Matthew and Luke describe things in the Bible. But tonight we're going to talk about Christmas from John's perspective, and we're going we're gonna to fill in, we're going to actually trace a lot of ideas throughout the Bible, so hopefully you can turn pages quickly, to see how the description of the Incarnation as this light that comes into the world. That's kind of a theme that goes throughout the whole story of the Bible, and so we're going we're gonna to follow a lot of places in Scripture where that is seen. So here's what I want to do. I want to read from John 1 and then fill in some blanks as we kind of work through some other passages that would lead up to this one. John 1, starting at the very beginning there in verse 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then for the sake of time, let's skip down to uh, verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And then down to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. 
glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. When Jesus came into the world, one of the ways that John describes his coming into the world is that he was light that shined into darkness. So what does that tell us about the condition of the world? The Bible associates the condition of the world with with darkness, and yet Jesus is coming into the world, shines like light in the darkness. Um, When John opens this description, and he uses that phrasing, in the beginning, in the beginning, what ideas do you think he's conjuring up? What would come into your mind when you hear that word, those words, in the beginning? Creation, right? So here's what I want us to do. Um, Let's go back even to the very beginning of the Bible, and let's see how darkness played a factor, even darkness and light played a factor even in creation. So in Genesis 1, and we're going to go mostly chronologically here, because I want you to see how all of the key points of the history of the world have to do with a uh, conflict of light and darkness, all right, even from the very beginning. So most of us probably know Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created... The heavens and the earth. Verse 2. The earth was formless and empty, without form and void. And what was over the face of the deep? Darkness. Darkness. So did darkness have to be created? No, No, darkness existed because there was no no light. Which is why in verse 3 God said, let there be light. And there was light. And the light was good. God saw that. He separated the light from the darkness. He called the light day. The darkness he called night. There was evening and morning the first day. Now, we're not told necessarily that the darkness was bad and that it was evil so that everything, you know, before creation, something was, was just wrong. But there was nothing. Darkness equaled nothing. And so God spoke light into existence so that there could be a distinction between light and darkness. And, and even in nature, light equals life. There really wasn't any way that other, the rest of creation could exist in total darkness. God had to create light first so that other things could exist. The same is true spiritually. You remember what John 1, 4 said? We just read it. In him was life, and the life was the, the light of men. So it's, it's equating life with light, which means it's probably equating darkness with Death or lack of life, at least, right? So that's true in nature. It's true spiritually. Darkness is associated with death. So here's, here's the idea. We're going to trace this problem of darkness, okay? The problem of darkness starts at creation. So write this in if you're taking notes. At creation, darkness was overcome by a word of light. How did God create light? He spoke it, right? Let there be Light At creation, darkness was overcome by a word of light. Now, to see, how, to see an example of how darkness is associated with death, go ahead in your Bibles to the book of Psalms. So you'll go about halfway through the Bible to the biggest, longest book therein and find Psalm 107. Psalm 107. And in Psalm 107, the psalmist is writing about the experience of God's people in the Old Testament. And here's how he describes it. Look with me, starting in verse 10. Psalm 107, 10. Some 
sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had done what? Rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. This might as well be talking about Adam. Adam rebelled against the words of God. Remember the first question that Satan asked him? Did God really say? So do you believe the words of God? And here the psalmist says that God's people had rebelled against the words of God, and so therefore they sat in darkness and in the shadow of death. So the second point there, man's rebellion against God's words led to darkness and the shadow of death. Man's rebellion against God's words led to darkness and the shadow of death. Thankfully, even in this psalm, there's a yet. Yet something happens. Look at verse 13. Then they cried to the Lord. So again, the experience of God's people in the Old Testament. They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart where they had been prisoners in affliction and in irons. The Lord burst their bonds apart and brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death. That's the common experience of God's people in the Old Testament. God's people had a tendency to return continually to that darkness. And so God uh, warned them that an exile would come. And look at how that exile is described. Go ahead in your Bibles next to Isaiah chapter 8. So after Psalms, you'll go through Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon. And then you'll find Isaiah and go to the very end of... Isaiah chapter 8. And in Isaiah 8 and 9, the darkness that's described here is in terms of what would happen for God's people during the exile, during the time where they would be taken into captivity. Look at the very end there in verse 22. Speaking of his, of his people, Isaiah says, And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness the gloom of anguish, and they'll be thrust into thick darkness. Now again, there's a yet. There's more to it. Look at the beginning of verse nine, uh, chapter 9. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he's made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. And here's how he's done that. The people, this is verse 2, chapter 9, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Now, how would God fulfill this promise? You have to go down to verse 6 of Isaiah 9. This promise would be fulfilled through a child being born and a son being given. Isaiah 9, 6. Unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And it goes on to describe how this son, this child, would sit on the throne of David 
forever. The light that was coming into darkness would be through the birth of a son. So write that in your notes. For those walking in darkness, even in the darkness of the exile, the promise is that there will be a great light, and it will be through the birth of a son. So so think about it. When God's people, even in the Old Testament, are exiled in Babylon, what's their hope? What are they looking for? What are they waiting for? A king to come who would be born who would be like light in the darkness. Go ahead next, still in Isaiah to chapter 42. In in Isaiah 42, the, the idea is expanded to show that this light is not just for one group of people. This is not just for Israel and Judah, but look who it's for. Isaiah 42, and we'll start in verse 6. I am the Lord, I've called you in righteousness, I'll take you by the hand and keep you, I'll give you as a covenant for the people, and what would the covenant be? A light for the, for the nations, not just for one nation, not just for the Jews, but for all nations. To do what, verse 7? To, br- to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in Darkness. So again, darkness is associated with prison. Darkness is confining. But there will come a light, and that light will be for all the nations. So this is, this is God setting this stage, using this imagery all throughout the Old Testament, from creation to through the fall, through the exile, and then in a promise of someone who would come and be a light, not just for those in exile, but for all peoples. This, this idea of light and darkness. Now, at our house, one of the pretty regular but few disputes that my wife and I have at our house is, is how, um, how bright certain rooms should be. So uh, I'm a night person. I stay up later uh, at, at night. Uh, Brandy does the same. We're both uh, night people rather than morning people. And so... Um, there's a certain point at night where it's almost like every everything in our house just goes really dark. Okay, the lights get dimmed, if not just turned off completely, and we're trying to put kids to bed, and I understand why. But then after the kid's in bed, I want to turn the lights back on. And, sh- and she's like, no, I need the lights dim. You know, I'm trying to, trying to build up this mindset to go to sleep. You know, but I want to go into the kitchen and find something to eat. And so we, so we have this dimmer on our kitchen lights. And she'll put it on about as low as it can go so that you can kind of see, but you can't really see. Okay, so like I'll go in and I'll just turn the light completely on. I'm pulling the string. That's what I'm doing. And, I, and because I want to be able to, to see, okay, I want light. All right, this, you probably remember this room. Uh, we had like five lights out. Remember how dark it was in here? That annoyed me to no end. We got the lights fixed, and I love it. This is great. We can, we can see, all right? The only time I really want it to be dark is, uh, is when I'm trying to sleep. Other than that, let's turn the lights on. Like, I want to be able to, to see things. The thing I like least about Christmas time, I think, is it's so blasted dark for like 14 hours out of the day, okay? I think that's the biblical perspective. So I just need you all to tell Brandy... <laughs> that to have the lights on in the house is the more biblical thing to do. If you'll help me with that, that would really be great. 
All right, so that, not just that story, but that concept is the problem of darkness in the Old Testament, which is where the light of the incarnation comes in and it solves this problem of darkness and it fulfills all those promises of a light that would shine through. So here's what we need to do is to go now to the New Testament and let's try to trace some of this in the New Testament. Some of these are are exact quotes. You're going to see how a lot of these things that, that come up in the New Testament are just restated all right, the New Testament authors are just quoting from the Old Testament to show how all these things are being fulfilled. So, first, Matthew 4. Matthew 4. Starting at verse 13. Matthew 4, first book of the New Testament, verse 13. Leaving Nazareth, Jesus went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. That in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And those for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. This was fulfilled in the coming of Christ, fulfilling this promise. Look next, go next in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 is, is actually even before Jesus was born... And there's a statement made about John the Baptist who would come before Christ to prepare the way for him. And look look at how this is worded here about John and the ministry of Jesus that John preceded. So look at the end of Luke 1, verse 76. And you, child, speaking to John, you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. You'll go before the Lord to prepare His ways, To do what? To give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Sunrise, again, the picture of light. To do what? Verse 79. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. That is what the birth of Jesus would do. That's what the incarnation would do. This is what even people who saw Jesus as a baby said about him. So go just to the next page or so to Luke chapter 2, and and you have Jesus as an eight-day-old baby in the temple, and a man named Simeon, who's been waiting for the Messiah to come, is able to see the baby Jesus, the baby Christ. And in verse 29, here's what Simeon says. Here's what he prays. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. How did Simeon know that? How did Simeon know that that Jesus was that? He had read his Bible. He knew what the Old Testament had said. He knew the promises of light coming in darkness. And so he was able to say to the child, you are the light for the revelation for all the peoples, for all the nations. And then, of course, we read what John had to say in his gospel, John chapter 1. You can go there again. John chapter 1, we saw in verses 4 and 5 that the light shined in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. The light shined in the darkness when Jesus took on a body. Now, why did Jesus need a body? Why did God 
Why did the Son of God need a body? Why could He not just come as an angel or as a spirit? Why did He need a body? Why does the incarnation matter? Because He needed to live in our place and die in our place. The Son of God came in the flesh so that in His flesh, His life would count for ours. So, in the first creation, Adam failed to remain obedient to God. Adam rebelled. But in this new creation, Jesus is a new Adam. Jesus would succeed where Adam failed. Jesus lived in perfect obedience to His Father. And yet, Jesus was put to death in our place, on our behalf, as a substitute for us. And God raised Him from the dead so that all... Everyone who will turn by faith from their sinful and dark ways and trust in Christ can be forgiven from our sins. We can live as God's people now and forever. That could be true of you tonight. If you've not turned to Christ from your sin, talk to one of us afterwards. Talk to a a leader. We would love to tell you how that can happen for you. This needs to happen for you, by the way, because we are naturally dark people. Look Look at John 3. Go, to, go ahead to John 3. We know John 3.16, most of us. God loving the world, God loved the world. He gave His Son so that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And, and look at why this had to happen. Look down at John 3.19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world... Because the people loved the, what? Darkness. You and I love darkness. I may not love it in my house, but I love darkness. I like sin. You and I are all bent toward darkness and what leads to our deaths. And so God loved us enough to not leave us loving our darkness. He gave His Son so that we can believe in Him and have eternal life, and we can be free from that darkness. One of the, one of the traditions we have at Christmas as a family is we, uh, and we did this, um, I did this as a, as a kid, my parents would drive us around, and we would go look at Christmas light displays. Anybody drive around and look at light displays? Um, I love huge light displays. Okay, I wish I, wish I could, there, there are some years where we've put up medium-sized light displays at our house, but unless I could just really do it like to where the whole neighborhood looks like daytime, I really don't want to bother with it. But I love these huge light displays. And whether the people who do those displays realize it or not, they are depicting what Christmas is all about, a great light shining in the darkness of winter. It symbolizes what God did for us at the first Christmas. But no earthly display of lights can match the display of God's glory in the person of Jesus. Remember what Ryan read for us at the beginning? 2 Corinthians 4. The same God who said, let light shine out of darkness. When did God say that? When did God say, let light shine out of darkness? In the beginning. Let there be light. The same God who can from nothing say, let there be light and there be light has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in a person, in the face of Jesus Christ. He is the true light who has come into the world. 
That is, the final point there, the light of the glory of God. And it's through the face. The face, right? He needed a body. He needed a head. He needed a face. Through the face of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, these truths are big. They are great. They, uh, as we've seen tonight, encompass all of what your word is about, the story that your word is telling, how even from creation you intended for light to shine in darkness, and yet we, in our rebellion, tend to run back to darkness, not just, not just uh, physical and natural darkness, but, but the darkness of our sins, the darkness of our evil deeds. Thank you that you have not left us in darkness. You have not left us confined in the prison of darkness and in the shadow of death. You have sent your Son, whose birth we celebrate at this time of year, to be the light of the world. Lord, thank you for this light, for this promise. Thank you that he came and lived and died and was raised in our place so that we can also be raised to live with you forever. We give you the praise for this. We pray you'll help our discussions now in small groups, that you'll be glorified, that that we'll be drawn to you, uh, that we will become more like Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.